Welcome to Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and today we're talking to Mike Carr, who is a member of the National Speakers Association, but in 2020, he won the Toastmasters World Championship of Public Speaking. Hey, Mike, welcome to Speakernomics. Hey, thank you, Tom. Yeah, it's great to great to be with you. So, Mike, what two tips would you give to speakers? The first one would be differences sell, similarities don't. Learned that from an old sales manager years ago, and it applies so strongly. To awesome. And the, sec- and the second one? The second one would be experimentation leads to epiphany. Ooh, I love both of those tips, and we're going to unpack those. So for people who don't know about Mike, Mike is a professional speaker, and he is also a financial advisor. And he has a unique knack of helping people who have to give kind of like that key speech that comes up sometimes in a career, helping them really sort of dissect it and find their hidden strengths and give this, gives them suggestions so that they can be unique when they present. So, Mike, last year in 2020, you entered at your club the World Championship of Public Speaking. For people who aren't familiar with Toastmasters, give us a little background about the organization and this this World Championship of Public Speaking tournament. Right, right. Yeah, Toastmasters began in the 20s, and they began doing contests around in the 30s at some point. They took a break during World War II, but beyond that, they've had a contest every year. And it was just in the United States, and then as English has become the the language of business, then it became a great place for a lot of countries around the world to practice English. And so that's a lot of where the explosive growth has come from. So today, or I'll say last year, over 30,000 individuals entered the contest from 17,000 different clubs. There are about 400,000 members and Toastmasters globally, but about 30,000 entered the contest from 146 different countries. And there are seven levels starting with the club and then moving up to the, the final. And I had never gone to the final before. I was just excited to go to the final. I could put that on my CV and lo <laughs> now, and behold, the twenty the twenty twenty contest started like every other year, going back to the nineteen thirties, where they actually had a contest live at your club and somebody wins and you won and then they advanced to the area contest and and that probably took place but somewhere in the early stages of those seven layers of the contest covid hit and toastmasters did something that i think was really smart they practiced the theory of don't cancel your event and they changed it to having the contests all the way up the line to be virtual and so what was that change like for you what was your experience It was interesting. The first two contests were just like every other year. They were live. Then on the third level, which is called division, that's when COVID was sweeping through the U.S. And we we started to hear, well, maybe this next contest won't be live. We we heard they may cancel it. We heard we heard a lot of different, a lot of uncertainty. But then it came out and they said, okay, we're, we're going to do the next level on Zoom. And we'd begun to do Zoom meetings so that 
wasn't too unusual, but early on, they hadn't put a lot of the protocols in. And so actually one of the speakers, which happened to be me, was right in the middle of the speech when someone inadvertently shared their screen and this advertisement for something popped up. And if you really look at it, it was really distracting. I had to look off and just continue on. Thankfully, it didn't derail too much, but there was a lot of uncertainty around, a lot of trial and error, and it improved with each level. But early on, it was it was really, really odd. So you advanced to the finals and, and a little personal background. In 2002, I made it to the semifinals of the Toastmasters World Championship of Public Speaking. So I know about all the levels, but not the finals. Didn't make it that far. Although, as I tell everybody, the person who meet, beat me at the region that I was in went on to win the whole thing. So maybe I was second. Who knows? You know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's but, right. but you made it to the finals and they pre-recorded your talk. You had to turn it in like a day or so in advance of when it was going to be broadcast to the world, right? That is right. That is right. That was their way of trying to avoid internet going down because there were there were countries where there was not stable internet. There were there were individuals, you know, in rural areas that had non-stable internet. So that was the attempt. Was we ran just like a normal contest with the judges live and and the judges were judging live, but it was done the day before or, or maybe two days before, just in case there was a technical issue. Now, for those who are listening, Mike actually lives in Austin, Texas, where I live, and and Mike and I are friends. So I was at a socially distanced outdoor watch party for the Toastmasters International Speech Contest. And I got to actually be there with Mike, but you had to then go home so that you would be ready for interviews and stuff afterwards. So I wasn't with Mike when they announced that he won, but I got to watch the speech. And the reason I wanted to interview you here on Speakernomics is you did such an amazing job. You really stood out from everybody else who was in there. And it really sort of ties in to the two tips that you gave us at the top of the show. So I'd like to dive into those two tips and we can talk a little bit more about Toastmasters afterwards. But your first tip was differences sell, similarities don't. How does that correlate to speaking and and how did you correlate that within your contest speech? Within the contest speech, I I noticed as I was watching different contests and and trying to figure out what is what what's moving forward, what are judges voting for and also what's just a good speech. I noticed that a lot of what I saw was someone standing in the middle of the frame. They were being enthusiastic. It looked like they were live on stage, but they were constrained within this little box. And so they just tried to maybe be bigger, more enthusiastic, come across on camera a little bit more. And I just got bored watching all those. And so I thought, what would make this more interesting? If I'm in in each of those speeches, there's, we can talk about my contest philosophy later. I don't think a contest is for winning. I think a contest actually is for honing speaking ability and speeches and ways to try things. But I thought if this is going to be a piece of edutainment and I want it to be both of that, how do I keep an audience's eyeballs focused in to be able to hear my speech after they've maybe heard five, seven other speeches. So how did you make yourself different? 
I started experimenting. I, at first, the, the first thing I did was I thought, well, I can't go side to side. So I'll just use the depth of the room. I can go front and back. And so what I did in the first little speed, in the, the first time, that division, when we were first there, I got right up in the camera and had a lot of times just my eyes showing. I had a little beard. I mentioned COVID and I, I showed that. But it was it added some humor. It was a little surprising. You know, our brains, that's really what humor is when our brains are surprised and it's, it's, it's not sad. And so it creates that emotional, that, that that's when we laugh. And that was what I intended and it worked. And so then as we went on, I'd watch other speakers and think, what is nobody doing? Mm. So it, it's interesting because I've been watching a lot of people present over the last, you know, 10 months via this whole world of, of virtual presentations. And you're right. Most people, even people who are doing business presentations, even some professional speakers, they definitely have the tendency to pick a spot and stay there. And you bring up a good point. You can't move very far right and left, especially if you're close enough into your camera to where you can actually see your facial expressions. And so the idea of moving front to back actually is pretty creative, right? I mean, that's, you know, not something that a lot of people are doing even months later, much less at that time. So how did you know it was working as you went from division on up the next four levels? The first time at division, the, the way I knew it was working was when I had some of the conversations afterward and people were saying things like, oh, I've seen a lot of division speeches and you're the only one that seems to move forward, get right up in the camera, move across. Oh, that was really interesting. It was wonderful. And I hope it's the same kind of thing that, that our discussion today, Tom, does for individuals who happen to be listening to this. Other individuals saw what I did and it stood their creative juices a little bit and they said oh what if you did this or oh what if you did that or or, or I could do this and I and that's the kind of thing that it just when when we collectively or individually start saying well what not looking at it as a constraint but as an opportunity what can I do in this environment that I cannot do on a live stage and that's when all these ideas started coming in but the people they were talking about my content but even more they were talking about how entertained they were by the by just seeing something they hadn't seen anywhere else before I think it's human nature is we look at what the pack is doing and then we tend to do the same thing so your philosophy was what is the pack doing I'm must do something different, which then leads to your other tip. The second tip that you shared with us at the top of, of this podcast was experimentation creates epiphany. I love that. But, but what does that mean? Uh, well, thanks. Yeah. And I'd say the bridge to that is, you know, human brains or human psychology, we crave two opposite things. We crave novelty, but we also crave similarity. And so, I knew I couldn't come out with the creative version of a bazooka and blow, you know, blow up the screen or do something that was so different that most people go, ooh, I, I, I don't want to see it. So, so I had to start experimenting with, okay, how far can I push the envelope before the envelope catches on fire or bursts open or whatever the, the right analogy is? And so just started just even things like as I'm here on video, then I'm, I'm getting up 
in the different corners of the the video area and when as i started looking at that i would i would see okay what does that look like what could that be it also meant that i needed to change my equipment i had to go from the camera that is like the one we're using now to a fisheye camera because then i could have more movement it would allow for a bigger stage just with that fisheye also it meant that i was not using a stationary microphone it meant that i needed to go to a wireless lapel in order to be able to go back as far as I can and, and side to side and, and down. And at one point, Tom, you've seen that, you know, I, I briefly disappear off the screen with only my knuckles showing and started to pull back. So the interesting story is, is one of the things that I'm, I get the most comments about is I begin that speech and I'm, I'm showing you now here on video, I'm down in the lower right-hand corner of the screen. So if you've got that screen box, I'm down in the little lower right-hand corner. I started the speech there and I get more comments about that almost than anything else out. It was not until the day before I had nervous energy. I was, I was bouncing. We were, we were getting ready to you know, film some of that. And I was nervous. So I was bouncing around and I was just kind of moving my head around in the box. And I landed down here and I thought, oh, that's funny. That looks like a, a little kid. And then it hit me that I start the speech as a sixth grader. So I put my head down there. I put my hands up and I thought, well, that looks interesting. That'd be interesting to start. That would be a little different right down there. And it wasn't, it, I would never would have thought about that if I wasn't just completely indiscriminately experimenting and saw something that created that epiphany of, oh, Oh, I could use that. Yeah. And I can tell you as someone who's I've, I've watched the speech twice. I watched it with you and it was being it was pre-recorded, but it was being broadcast live for the contest itself while the judges were seeing it for the first time. And then I went back and watched it a couple of days later. And the thing that stood out the most for me was you do start off in that bottom corner with only about half your face showing. And as you start talking, you talk about remembering when you were in the sixth grade or, or whatever the story starts. And at first you're thinking he doesn't realize his camera's not in the right place. And then as you talk and you realize you're talking about being this small child, you realize that you've done something I've not seen a lot of other speakers do, and that is you've used the whole rectangle as your stage. And then as your speech progresses, you stand up, you take the center stage, but then you do that thing with moving back and forward as you make points. And, you know, again, you know, how did you figure that out? And it really was just experimentation. Uh, there's another place in the speech where there was a lot of dialogue. I was trying to make the description and trying to make it funny about the librarian who was a little bit of a curmudgeon and had chided me for trying something, for trying to fix a projector, um, a film projector that I, when I was in the sixth grade. So I was trying to get across this idea that she was scary. But I thought that's so uninteresting if I'm just describing that. But here again, that question of what can we do in this environment, the camera environment, that really I could not do on a large stage because that final typically is given before about 3,000, a ballroom of 3,000 on a big, long stage. And I thought that's, that's where, Tom, I, I, I picked up the coffee mug and I was able to put a coffee mug right up in front of the screen 
And because it was a real coffee mug and it had this picture of a dragon on it, it wasn't just a picture of a coffee mug that I threw up on a screen behind me. It had a different effect where it's more like something happens live and was maybe was able to make a, a humorous moment out of that. But that would not have worked. It would not have been nearly as effective. It certainly would not have been funny if that had been on a live stage in a ballroom. And so little things like that, just out of throwing things at the camera and seeing what can't I do live that I can only do in this environment. And then our brains are big puzzle creators. And if we just ask it questions like that, then it begins to bring us some really interesting answers. So you win the contest and then how does your life change? Suddenly you're being asked to speak all over the world for Toastmasters clubs and other organizations because you are the 2020 world champion of public speaking. So, so what happened immediately after you won that? Because, I mean, you've already been a professional speaker. You know, you already have a career as a financial advisor. All of a sudden you're being overrun by people who want to get a little piece of Mike and what, what you've learned because you are not just the person who has that title. You're the first and only person who's ever won that title in the virtual world. That is right. All of a sudden, all my email boxes, my social media message boxes filled up with a lot of requests to speak around the world. Anyone who wins this the, the World Championship of Public Speaking any year is invited to come to various places around the world to so, speak. So and you've kind of lost out because you have to stay in your living room. Well, right. But I got to I got to speak to by a factor of ten more districts than other world champions have been able to speak to in this first year because I can stay in my living room and go and do a training there and do that. So there are pros and cons to that. I'm hoping that the the live events are still available when the world opens back up. So I'm a big fan of the Toastmasters organization. I, I joined a Toastmasters club almost 30 years ago. I probably never would have become a professional speaker and a member of the National Speakers Association if I hadn't been so active in Toastmasters. But not everybody who makes money speaking you know, has gone through the Toastmasters world. And actually, some people don't even necessarily even know what it is. So can you talk a little bit about when you got involved with Toastmasters, why you got involved, and why did you enter this contest? Because you're already speaking to companies. Why, why would you enter the Toastmasters contest? Yeah, I got involved 20, goodness, probably about 25, 25 years ago. I was a young financial advisor. And there were, there were two main things. I... I said ah and m and and I I filled in those gaps with a lot of filler words to the point of it being distracting. Now I'm I'm a fan today of a, a few ahs and ums here and there because quality communication these days is is typified really by comfort in front of the audience and connection and in something so, in a few ahs and ums then help you know, build that. Right. But, well, you, you want to be, you want to be natural. I mean, I, I, one thing I say about like this podcast and, and the other shows that I've hosted is that conversations don't have scripts. So you don't want to be over rehearsed. Right. 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 But I was distracting. I, if you've ever been around with someone who's like, I, um, and then I, mm, um, uh, then I went to, uh, and, and that was, that was what was happening. And, and I had a very good friend, you know, who was looking at becoming a client said, Mike, <laughs> I, 
I can't get to your point because I'm just so distracted by this. And the other piece is I would go off on tangents. Someone would ask me a question. I would start to answer it. That would make me think of a story. And I'd run down that, which about halfway down that story, I'd think of another anecdote or story. And I'd be... I'd be three or four tangents down the road and forget what the question was. And my, the individual I was speaking to certainly forgot. So I joined Toastmasters to really work on those things. And then were, then there were other, I was, I started learning other things like the power of stories, like some structure to a speech. I used to really frustrate audiences by starting with a story, but half the audience, I, I wouldn't tell them where I was going. So a lot of different things I learned. I first started entering contests because, oh, I liked the idea of getting a trophy. But over time, that really changed. I uh, Partly was because I lost <laughs> later. The reason I entered the contest this time was I had a speech that I had written that really was not appropriate for industry. It was more of a touchy-feely piece of art story. And I, and I really speak more to, you know, I'm a, I'm a numbers and people guy, so I speak a lot to companies and industry. This one was more about being light in someone else's life. And I'd given that speech at the club just it's, a, it's about a friend of mine who I, I lost her. Uh, she passed away when I was in high school. But the things that I learned from her, I still apply today. So I gave that speech and people laughed and everyone had tears running down their face at the end of it. And I thought, well, Tom, you and I have talked about this. COVID starts happening, you know, and, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I may not be traveling as much this year. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and enter the contest because for me, the purpose of a contest is to take a piece of work, a piece of edutainment or a speech and make it better, present it to an audience that, I mean, I'm not going to go experiment to an audience that's paying me, right? <laughs> I want to try that with an audience that's going to give me a lot of feedback and make it better and, it just, and then COVID hit and none of us were traveling. And so there were not the conflicts to go to the next one and just kept working on that, on, on those speeches. So what is it like to prepare for what some could argue in your case, the speech of a lifetime? What was that like prepping for that? You know, this is, this is where, this is where philosophy really starts coming in a lot because I'd, I'd lost enough times in Toastmasters whenever people were telling me, oh, you're definitely going to win it all, that I, I thought, no, you know, that can't be, you know, my, my adrenaline just blows out my adrenals. <laughs> just that can't be the end goal. And so I wanted it to be the best piece of art that it could be. I wanted it to really have a message that had the propensity to change the life of someone who needed to hear that message. And I wanted it to be entertaining enough that they didn't look away until they got the message that could potentially change their lives. And then I just wanted it to be the very best it could be. And so in my my first preparation was I had a speech that was designed for a ballroom of 3,000 and a big stage where I would be all over that big stage. And then all of a sudden we're in a box. So I threw that out, started looking at what works, what could be advantageous in this medium, and then 
started writing, came up with, you know, the story and then trial and error and, and recording myself. I'm a big believer of recording myself and doing a self-evaluation live and, and virtual and just did that over and over and over and over again. Well, Mike, thank you for being here on Speakernomics. I will say you just mentioned that you wanted that speech really to be a piece of art. And when you said that, I had sort of an aha moment because I had the privilege to sit with you while all nine contestants speeches everybody's speech was like a five to seven minute talk and i got to sit there for a couple hours as we watched all of the speeches that morning and i knew that you won because yours was different yours definitely had that little element that we talked about right different cells similar doesn't and yours was very different and i think that it was actually that it was a piece of art so for anybody who's listening to speakernomics look up mike carr the 2020 world champion of public speaking for toastmasters i know the video lives out there on youtube somewhere it's easy to find so find the video it's only seven minutes long and i think all of us can learn from the piece of art that he created for that very short speech I appreciate it. Yeah. And I would, I would say to anybody who is professional speakers who are wanting to raise their game, you know, it doesn't have to be Toastmasters, but Toastmasters, and yes, there are a lot of new brand newbie speakers in Toastmasters, but I just, there may not be a better place to get in front of a group of people and just try something new that can fail miserably and it does not hurt your pocketbook. <laughs> and I still belong to the Toastmasters Club that, that I belong to. And actually during COVID, I started participating every single week because I didn't have to. My club meets at 630 in the morning. I didn't have to drive anywhere at 6 a.m. Uh, I could just stumble into my little studio here and log on via Zoom. So there's a lot of professional speakers who support Toastmasters who came up through the ranks and who still participate for exactly what you said. It's both a combination of of being able to try things but and also it's a great way to give back because when you're out there making your living with the spoken word you can help a lot of people yeah 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 that's so true there there and that's the giving part of it there are a lot of individuals that can use you know, good communicators knowledge because they're developing the cure for cancer but if they can i mean some in our club are literally working on the cure for cancer but if they cannot communicate that out into the marketplace to get it funded yep then i mean that's it, that becomes real more people die because they cannot communicate it. if we can help them do that then we're doing good in the world Well, Mike Carr, the 2020 world champion of public speaking from Toastmasters, thank you for being here on Speakernomics. We really appreciate having you. And as I said, the first and only person to win it in a virtual world. Thank you for your tips about how all of us can excel when we're speaking in this rectangle. And thank you to everybody. Thank you to everyone who joined us. Please come back every single week because we're going to bring you more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how you can make money as a professional speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast, speak, get paid, repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.